battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live. Online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today on the program, we are talking to Joe Demanuel Hall about the Alabama Troublemakers School next week. We are talking to Bobby Watson about the paper mill lockout going on in South Alabama. Amazon warehouses are catching fires across the country. Bosses are firing pregnant workers for being union supporters and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail or a text message throughout the week and we might play it on the next show. Uh, If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio or If you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. We are anywhere you find anything online. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok. I already said YouTube. Wherever you find your podcasts, all at the Valley Labor Report. And folks, if you find us on the radio you enjoy listening to us you should really uh you should really be following us online on youtube and and wherever you get your podcasts in particular because we have so much so much bonus content that comes out throughout the week we've been doing candidate interviews we're probably going to have about 10 candidate interviews that are long you know 30 40 50 minute conversations with candidates about their candidacy why they're running stuff like that we do um, we do overtime every Saturday, which is a whole second half of the show. Occasionally, I will post videos exclusive to TikTok. You get my snarky tweets if you follow us on Twitter, if you follow me and the show on Twitter. Lots of cool stuff. And, you know, a lot of places, and, and maybe this is because I'm not a very good businessman, but a lot of places will... They will paywall their extra content, not us, folks. It's all free. It's all free because we want everybody to be able to see everything that we're doing. Uh, and that is made possible by our listeners that do support the show monetarily and by our sponsors. Our largest single source of funding does come directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation, buy our hat or our stickers, you can go to our website, tvlr.fm, our store, tvlr.fm slash store. 
You can make a donation at tvlr.fm slash donate or become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. If you're a member of a union, you should uh, think about getting your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to me for more details on that. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into Last Week in Southern Labor. Last Week in Southern Labor is a segment that we do mostly every week where we tell you what happened in the labor movement in the South. We pull the information from Jonah Furman's newsletter, Who Gets the Bird, which compiles all this information for the entire United States. So if you want to see what's going on outside of the South, then subscribe to his newsletter, whogetsthebird.substack.com. And with that, let's jump into new organizing for the weeks of September 10th through October 2nd. And just a note, because this is a three-week edition, some of the smallest filings have been left out. In Erlanger, Kentucky, 900 DHL workers are officially unionizing with Teamsters Local 100, having filed a petition after openly organizing for some months. 550 workers for Utility Line Construction Services in Region 10, headquartered in Indian Trail, North Carolina, are organizing with IBEW Local 379. Having announced their campaign last month, 180 workers at GE Aviation in Auburn, Alabama, have formally filed to unionize with IUECWA. 142 more Starbucks workers at eight stores have filed to join Workers United over the past three weeks, including in Arlington, Virginia, and Shivano Park, Texas. 61 workers at independent bookstore McKay Books in Knoxville, Tennessee, are unionizing with CWA. This is happening after the Chattanooga location has already filed for a union election. After the big win at the local Hein Brothers coffee chain, 35 more baristas at Sunargo's Coffee in Louisville, Kentucky, are joining the same union, which is, oddly enough, the National Conference of Firemen and Oilers, which is primarily a railroad union, which is somehow an affiliate of 32BJ SEIU, which is primarily a janitorial and doorman union. Just funny stuff, funny stuff. 32AV workers at Houston, Texas's Wartham Center are joining IATSE Local 51. 31 food service workers at Eglin Air Force Base, Florida, are unionizing with OPEIU Local 4873. 16 hotel workers at the Hampton Inn in Glen Allen, Virginia, are joining Hotel Workers United. It's unclear if that's an independent union or uh, something with Unite Here or Workers United. In election wins and losses for the past three weeks, 727 nurses at Ascension Seton Hospital in Austin, Texas, have won the biggest hospital union in Texas, joining National Nurses United in a 385 to 151 vote. Very impressive margin of victory. Absolutely. Huge bargaining unit. That's going to be really great for nurses across the state of Texas. The Texas Observer has the full story. The Starbucks Workers United campaign added 236 members after 10 stores voted a combined 93 to 28 to unionize, including in three locations in Texas, in Houston, San Antonio, and New Braunfels. 
73 Starbucks workers at three stores, including in Lafayette, Louisiana, voted a combined 23 to 30 against joining Starbucks Workers United. 69 workers for diversified gas and oil in West Virginia voted 44 to 21 to join the Steelworkers Union. Another location of retail chain Half Price Books has unionized, with 17 workers voting 9 to 8 in Louisville to join UFCW Local 227. As that union drive quietly rolls on, seven concrete truck drivers for IMI in Scottsville, Kentucky, voted 6 to 1 to join the Teamsters Local 89. Six staffers for energy efficiency nonprofit EnergyWise in New Orleans, Louisiana, voted 4 to 1 to join IBEW Local 130. 475 subcontracted airport ground service workers for Jetstream in Charlotte, North Carolina, are at the center of what looks like a turf war between the machinists and SEIU 32BJ. And grad workers at Duke in Durham, North Carolina, have dropped cards in their campaign to join SEIU, which was inconclusive after their last vote in 2017. In strikes and bargaining, folks, the country got within... 20 hours of a national freight rail strike with 120,000 workers ready to walk or just as likely as we as we have talked about on the show get locked out by the carriers before Marty Walsh tweeted that it was all over. The main upshot is that it is not in fact over, but it is deferred at least until mid-October or more likely December the 9th. Whatever happened in that, in that room between Marty Walsh, Joe Biden, and the heads of the rail unions and the heads of the freight rail carriers, they did manage to kick the can past the midterms, past the major harvests, and into December. Just this past week, the Machinists District 19 announced a new tentative agreement as well, delaying their September 29th strike deadline all the way to December as well. And the IBEW announced that their members voted to ratify their deal, making them the third of the dozen unions to sign on to a deal. The biggest wild card currently is BMWE, the Brotherhood of Maintenance and Way employees, the third biggest union involved, whose vote results will be announced on October 10th, but who, as far as we've seen, have not announced whether they're joining up on the December 9th strike deadline or if they would consider walking earlier. It's hard to see all of these passing ratifications since before that, Internal polling by these unions had the had the passing rate, had the acceptance rate by members at something like 70% against. 70% against. And so considering where members were before these new tentative agreements and how little additional benefits are in the new deals, it's difficult to see a 30 to 50 uh, 30 to 40 point swing in the yes vote for these contract agreements. So we'll see what happens there. Meanwhile, the United Mine Workers of America strike at Warrior Met in Brookwood, Alabama drags on. And the NLRB has downgraded the financial penalty that the union has to pay the company back down to the $400,000 price range as opposed to the $13 million that they were recently assessed. 
Per Warrior Met Strike reporter extraordinaire Kim Kelly. Meanwhile, outside the airports, the Southwest Airline Pilots Association has asked for mediation, which is a formality under the Railway Labor Act, but technically an escalation nonetheless, and picketed at airports, as did the Southwest flight attendants with the Transport Workers Union Local 556, who also asked for mediation in July. Delta pilots with the Airline Pilots Association are one step ahead of both of them, having initiated a strike authorization vote already. UPS aircraft mechanics with Teamsters Local 2727 have quietly reached a new two-year tentative agreement, though it is still subject to a ratification vote by the members. There was some fascinating and unusual public sector strike activity in the South last week with non-union public workers in Selma, Alabama, Lowndes County, Alabama, and Hines County, Mississippi, all going on strike. A paper mill owned by Westrock in Russell County, Alabama, was facing down a strike of 450 workers with steel workers local 971, 1471, and 1972, but they are now locked out. We're going to be talking to Bobby Watson later about that. 1,100 steel workers at Constellium in Ravenswood, West Virginia are facing down a strike deadline as workers have voted down a contract over six days. Get this, currently the workers get none. The workers get no sick days. The workers voted down that contract over the lack of sick days and over contracting. Apparently, a last, best, and final offer is being presented by the company before the strike deadline, but only changes the wage offer. So here again, just like with the paper mill in Russell County, Alabama, the company is trying to buy these things that are really not monetary in nature. The issues that these workers have are not monetary in nature. They are... They're living standards, their work-life balance, and they are surrounding with the subcontracting the integrity and unity of their union. And it's going to be difficult to buy that off of them. Starbucks Workers United went on strike in Atlanta, Georgia, and Raleigh, North Carolina last week. In the meantime, Starbucks now says it wants to bargain giving a three-week window for bargaining at all 240-some-odd stores that have won a union vote. Workers at Amazon in Stone Mountain, Georgia, went on strike. At Labor Notes, Luis Feliz Leon looked at Unite Here Local 355's strike threat at a big hotel in Hollywood, Florida, and how sometimes just a credible strike threat is enough to get the goods. The expiration deadline of the national contract covering 50,000 U.S. Postal Service workers with the National Postal, Postal Mail Handlers Union, which is a laborer's affiliate, came and went with a brief bargaining update and nothing in the two weeks since. There's no threat of a strike here, but would be curious to know what exactly is holding things up and how members feel about it, as it is a very, very large contract, 50,000 workers. In political fights, Lee Harris has a fantastic and wide-ranging piece at the American Prospect on the shift to a green economy, unions' role in it, and the Democratic Party. The election is coming up, and workers in Tennessee will vote on whether or not to place right to work in the state's constitution. We've got to dig more into that. Talk to some folks 
in the next few weeks about that. And finally, in internal union politics, there were several union conventions over the last few weeks, but the only notable thing came out of the um, uh, Amalgamated Transport Union came out of their convention last month where the union doubled and expanded their strike pay. They committed to open bargaining and internal union organizer trainings and nuts and bolts reforms that can meaningfully impact worker power on the job and in the union. So very good updates from the ATU there. Looking forward to seeing how that goes in the next few years. So Adam, have we got Joe in the zoom yes we do then we will go right on to our next segment joe demanuel hall is a staff writer for labor notes who is hosting the alabama troublemaker school uh, next week labor notes is one week from today so we're talking to him about that this morning joe thank you for taking the time to talk to us i appreciate it thanks for taking the time to talk about this good to be here Absolutely. So, you know, Labor Notes does these troublemaker schools across the country. What for? What is the purpose of these troublemaker schools? So one of Labor Notes' big flagship events is this conference that we do, this national conference that we do every two years in Chicago. Uh, And those are great. They bring together people from all over the place, but it's obviously a lift for people to get there. And the focus is a little bit more national in character, right? The people are talking from big, different geographies, they're sharing strategies, but the, the contexts can often be different. That's a really important educational opportunity. But there's a really uh, added value, I think, in here in bringing these events to more local and regional settings because Uh, You get people talking with one another who might share a little bit more in common in terms of the political situation that they're organizing under the and who might be neighbors right and getting to connect with people. So I think these things do uh, these types of events troublemaker schools, which are these regional mini conferences that we do that tend to be one day. uh, Do a couple of things. One, I think they're important educational opportunities uh, for a lot of union activists, uh, especially for union activists who might be on the outs with their union leadership. They don't get a ton of support in terms of trying to learn how to organize uh, you know, workshops, even basic organizing workshops, things as basic as steward workshops, You know, learning basic stewards rights. And so these seem to, we've learned that these are really important things to be able to provide people and that people are really thirsty for these. Uh, and every time we do them, especially recently, people are clamoring for them. So that's one piece of this, like basic organizing education. Can't have enough of it. A second piece of this, and I referenced this a little bit earlier, but is the the connections and relationships that come out of this, uh, these types of events that they're open to all, unlike some you know, union conferences, educational conferences, you don't have to be sponsored by your union to go there. You can, if you're a labor activist, union or not, come down, come meet some other labor activists. This, and I think that's really valuable and important for this type of thing. Uh, but there are just so few opportunities in the labor movement for what I've come to call these lateral relationships in the labor movement, where if you're a rank and filer in one union, you're a steward, 
in you know a school in your local school district, you might never talk to a public transit unionist, even if you have the same employer uh, in this and you're in the same area. You might never talk to the Starbucks worker who is organizing in your city. Right? And so these kinds of relationships, if we're really serious about building a labor movement and not just a series of silos, are incredibly important. And so I think that some of the real magic that happens in these things is not the one-way kind of education thing that happens, mm. people learning about organizing, but are the conversations that people have, you know, in those workshops, sharing stories at lunch in the hallway between these things. Uh, and they're just, I have found them to be incredibly valuable and really important and inspiring. Yeah. And these, you know, they're, I think both of those are very, very important. And, and so let's spend a little bit of time on each of those in the, the just the nuts and bolts type training stuff, um, what are the kinds of things that that union activists maybe they're a steward or maybe they're a rank and filer who want to who want to become more active in, in their union? What are some of the things that they can or or there's somebody who's in a non union workplace because you mentioned that this is in this is open to anybody that wants to come if you're uh you know interested in organizing you can come to these things and so you know maybe you're a steward you want to learn how your how to do your job better you're a rank and filer in your union you want to become more active or you're a non-union worker who wants to change that who wants to start taking some of the power that y'all have and and working to protect yourselves and, and and working to unionize your workplace what are some of the things that they will be able to learn at these workshops Sure. Yeah. So from a, a few different angles that I think we're trying to hit this. Uh, one, there's a series of workshops that we do that are based on a book that Labor Notes put out a handful of years ago called Secrets of a Successful Organizer. That is a, a really great book. And these workshops uh, really build off of that to try and get people to think about the organizing basics and how they can use organizing basics to really try to build power in their workplace and take the fight to the boss. So there's a series of three workshops that will be done at the Troublemaker School that are on that topic uh, and that I think are as broadly applicable to already unionized as well as non-union uh, workers to think about really how to talk to your coworkers, how to identify leaders in your workplace, how to plan actions, how to string together actions to make campaigns that can really win and build power. Uh, another angle that we hit this from is, you know, we, we both mentioned the stewards education, which we've talked about before on the show. It's really important. Uh, going to do something on the basic legal rights of union stewards, which a lot of stewards don't know and don't have the resources around. And uh, while we should never be too reliant on the law to be able to uh, back us up, it is good to know your rights and stewards have rights. Right. And it's important to enforce them. Another piece on the stewards thing, and this is very similar to the previous conversation that we had when I was on here, was about how stewards can use the issues that come up at work to try and organize and not just you know play the whack-a-mole game of grievances, but using grievances to really get people involved to take the fight to the boss, supercharging grievances by getting more people involved and really trying to win issues that way. And a, a third angle 
of the workshops that we're trying to hit there is uh, some of the bigger picture stuff that uh, might not fall under organizing 101 or knowing your rights, but things around labor history and how it connects to the organizing that's going on now, what people can learn about that, um, as well as thinking about how worker organizers, worker organizations can work uh, in coalition with community organizations to build stronger fights uh, that expand beyond union membership to uh, people who are users of public services or people who care about things that are going on right now and bringing in and expanding the base for these fights. And those are and those are all things that that we are going to be having at the at the Troublemaker School next week. And another one that, that you didn't mention that I wanted to call uh, call attention to is is the um, the panel that's on race and labor. You know, I think that's something that's important for us to talk about in the South. How uh, racism it you know affects workers in the workplace coming from the boss and how those you know those systems can even infect our unions and how we can fight against that and how we can build trust and solidarity among our coworkers um and among our fellow union members and and you know th- these are all you know so we've got a from fr- from the workshop perspective we've got a really broad range and uh, in Alabama next week and then at these troublemaker schools across the country from super nuts and bolts how do I organize a union? What are some of the first steps? How do I be a good shop steward? How do I organize as a shop steward? To zooming out broader conversations about building coalitions in the community, about you know fighting these larger structures of of you know racism and sexism and things like that. And these are all you know really important stuff. And and we're gonna have there's gonna be speeches from union activists in Alabama, Mustafa Hassan from the CWA here in Huntsville is going to be speaking. Hayden Wright, of course, is going to be very familiar to anybody that's, you know, remotely following labor struggles uh, in Alabama. Isaiah Thomas, you know, uh, from the RWDSU, the Amazon Union in Bessemer. So lots of, you know, lots of stuff for you if you are if you're a worker, <laughs> you know, if you're a worker in Alabama, there's going to be a lot of stuff for you here at this at this uh, uh, troublemaker school a week from today. And so, Joe, let's talk about the, um, you know, the relationship building portion of this. What are some of the things that you have seen come out of other troublemaker schools in the past and other locations that, you know, y'all at Labor Notes are really proud of as far as building relationships among working people across industries and across jobs yeah so i mean these things range from totally informal to more formal in terms of the types of connections that get built so at the the baseline level i think for people who are newer to the labor movement or more isolated in their corner of the labor movement i've just seen a lot this real light bulb eye-opening moment it feels really powerful of people realizing well, other people are facing the challenges that I'm facing. You know, I'm I can feel like I'm banging my head against the wall trying to get my grievances heard or what have you. And there are other people out there who are facing this too. It's not just some individual failing of mine. And I can learn from some of these people. I can share phone numbers with these people and call them up when I'm having a problem. 
So I think that that is one of the most powerful things that happens there. Um, I think that the some of the other types of connections that get made, you know, I remember uh, we did a troublemaker school in New Orleans in 2019. It was the first time we had done one there. And there were two groups of unionists who came from two different unions who realized that they uh, represented workers at the same facility who like in different parts of the same facility. And one of these groups was a, a newly elected set of officers, reform officers and a local. And they sat down, they, they spent the entire lunchtime sitting off by, by themselves, uh, coordinating, scheming, and left with some plans to really try and coordinate how to take the fight to that employer in a way that it hadn't been done before. And these connections are, you know, ones that sometimes we would hope would already be made, but aren't. And that's part of what this can do, right? Uh, right. We're going to be doing a troublemaker school in, uh, in New York City later this year. And there's there are negotiations going on right now covering several hundred thousand uh, union members, public sector union members in New York City across a series of unions. And we're going to be hosting conversations where they can get together and talk with one another across these unions about what are their strategies, uh, how are they pushing for more democratic processes within their unions, some of which are really undemocratic and anti-democratic mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And uh, those connections are just ones that, that often don't happen anywhere else. Um, and so... It isn't necessarily about you know coming out with a formal coalition or people having formed some sort of new organization but if people come out of things like this with a plan to keep talking to one another and having made some of those connections in their head that like the next time this problem comes up this is the person who i'm going to reach out to uh i think that that's a valuable addition right and this is something that that is that's incredibly important if, like you said, opening the show, if we are genuinely interested in building a labor movement as opposed to having individual silos where maybe we do or maybe we don't win some things in this workplace or that workplace. or But instead, rather than, uh, in addition to that, actually building a movement of working people that can, that can fight for one another, you know, what... Uh, um, I was I, I've been on the picket line with those folks that are locked out um, down in South Alabama at the paper mill the past few days, and um, so, somebody you know w w one of the folks I was talking to was kind of interested in in why I would you know drive five hours down down south to be on the picket line with them and and you know talk to them and support them and, and help them try to get their story out and and you know it I and it's because I genuinely believe like deep, deep, deep down, that when workers win, that when one group of workers win, we all win. And when one group of workers get hurt, we all get hurt. Mm -hmm. And in, in in a bunch of different ways, and, and I think that these Labor Notes Troublemaker Schools, um, the conference that y'all do, the, the low bar to entry, $30 registration fee, the broad range of folks that y'all bring to these troublemaker schools for at, both as as panelists and facilitators and as attendees, um, I think it really facilitates that type of understanding. Yeah, and I think a really important piece about that 
is that these are inherently local events. So all we do them all over the place, right? We're gonna there's as we speak, one is happening in the Twin Cities in Minnesota right now. Three hundred people are getting together for this. Uh, it's different, right? The one that's happening in the Twin Cities is going to be different than the one that's happening in Alabama because what's going on in the Twin Cities is different. There are things that are applicable across those, right? Basic organizing skills; these are important, but we're not parachuting in a bunch of uh, professional organizers from all over the country to come and tell you all how to organize. The thing that we're facilitating is bringing together people who are organizing where they're at and trying to get them to connect with one another. And I think that that's really important, right? Because- Yeah, well, all the people that are facilitating- It's a small organization. (laughs) Yeah, well, all all the people that are facilitating these panels, these workshops, uh, doing these speeches, they're almost all from Alabama. There's one Starbucks worker from Georgia that's going to be speaking, um, and there's a couple people from Labor Notes staff, but the 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 vast, like 95% of the people that are doing this stuff, they're from Alabama, or at least the South more broadly. And so this is, you know, it's it's definitely a local event. It's not people, you know, coming and parachuting in and, and telling us how to do things. It's it's us, y'all are facilitating us talking to each other. Yeah, and I think that that makes it all the more powerful for figuring out what to do after this, right? And uh, really facilitates more of those connections that we were talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. Adam, did you have anything else that you wanted to to add or, or ask him about before we let Joe go? Yeah, I had a couple of things I wanted to throw out there. Uh, really excited about Labor Notes coming to Alabama. Um, this is the second time that I'm aware of that there's been an Alabama troublemaker school. Uh, Jacob, you and I and David Sori happened to be at one a few years ago, which you know, had we not had that conversation and sat at that table that day, who knows if I would be on the show. Uh, Right. So that's just one practical example of how uh, the connections you make and the conversations you have can have a lasting impact. And a couple other things I wanted to just uh, flesh out. It is a local event. And the folks who have been planning this event, by and large, are the local folks who are going to be panelists and trainers uh, and volunteers. So uh, couldn't couldn't do it without Louise and without Courtney, without Joe, the folks at Labor Notes who've been doing this work. But, um, you know, it's it's been volunteers uh, also providing input, helping to set the agenda, uh, volunteering to be trainers. So uh, love to see that and want to emphasize a couple other things. Uh, One, if you are a union member, Uh, Joe mentioned it earlier, you know, maybe you're not in the good graces of your leadership or maybe you have critiques of your union. Uh, This is a safe space for you to get training as a unionist and have those conversations uh, and and be willing to to have criticism. Uh, I think that's one of the great things about a Labor Notes event as opposed to something more official and sponsored by the institutions themselves is that you can have more of that open dialogue. And uh, the other thing I wanted to make sure we mention, um, you guys mentioned it a little bit earlier, but if you are not a union member and maybe, you know, starting a union's not really even on your horizon right now, but you are active in the community in some way. Uh, maybe you are active in Black Lives Matter. You're active in other social justice causes. This event is open to you. This event is for you as much as anything else. 
for one thing, for the connections you're going to make, but also a lot of the organizing training and skills that we're going to be working on translate into your community organizing that you're working on and the other projects that you have going on. So I know uh, a couple of ladies in Huntsville have told me they're coming. They're not really union people, but they're activist people. They're staples of the activist scene here in Huntsville, and I'm really excited to see them come bring that community activism background and and while they learn more about labor and we learn more about them so i think that's going to be a great thing and just want to really highlight that so if you're listening you're involved in any way in the community or you want to know how to get involved in the community you need to be there saturday the 15th in montevello don't miss it yeah we've got 125 people registered as of yesterday and I think it'd be pretty cool to get it to 200. So Absolutely. And yeah. if you cannot attend, you can still help. Go on Facebook, find the event, invite all your friends. Yeah. Everyone you know on your friends list who's remotely interested in labor or, or making the world a better place in some capacity, send them an invite, shoot and them a message. You can, you can help out that way. And you can find it at labornotes.org slash events labornotes.org slash events. Joe, anything else that you want to add? Really excited about this. I think it's going to be great and uh, really excited to see what comes out of it. Yep, I think so too. Joe Demanuel Hall, staff organizer for Labor Notes, talking about the Alabama Troublemaker School next week, Saturday, October the 15th at the University of Montevallo from... 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Going to be an after party at Zappapan's Mexican restaurant afterwards. Folks, you don't want to miss it. $30 registration, labornotes.org slash events. Joe, thanks for taking your time. Thanks a lot. Take care. Appreciate it. We're going to go to a break really quick. On the other side, we're going to be talking about Amazon locations catching fire across the country, including here in Huntsville, Alabama. We're going to be talking to Bobby Watson, president of one of the locals at the paper mill that is locked out, the workers at the paper mill that are locked out down in South Alabama. Looking forward to that for sure. Yep. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. 
Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. This is Alabama's only union talk radio program, The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Our next guest is Bobby Watson, president of United Steelworkers Local 971, which represents production workers at the West Rock Paper Mill outside of Fort Mitchell, Alabama in Cottonton, Alabama. Bobby, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. I appreciate it. Yeah, Jacob. Good to see you again. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, you know, we... I. It's funny, I've been, I think you have been engrossed in this lockout for the past week, and I have as well. I had a piece go out on The Real News uh, last week talking about it, and so there are a lot of folks that already have an understanding of what's going on, but for people that are listening to us on the radio... We weren't actually we would we didn't actually get to tell them uh, uh, you know we weren't actually able to lay out the situation for them last week so there are probably people that are listening to us on the radio that have no understanding of what's going on at this paper mill of what has been going on uh, what the company is doing so we're gonna kind of back up a little bit from some of the conversations that we've been having just to lay a little bit of foundation for people that are brand new to this 
to this conversation about this lockout that's happening down in Cottonton, Alabama. So first, help us get an understanding of what goes on in this paper mill. What do y'all do? Okay, so we're located down on Chattahoochee River uh, in between uh, Eufaula uh, and Phoenix City, Alabama. And our paper mill started up in December of 1966, uh, which was originally a Georgia-Alabama craft uh, mill. And then uh, it changed to mead, coated board. And then uh, from there, we went to a Mead West Vaco and Mead and West Vaco Corporation merged. Uh, and so now we are currently West Rock, which is the combination of uh, Mead West Vaco and Rock 10 Corporation. So we're a uh, consumer meal. We make consumer packaging paper. It's a uh, uh, coated natural craft, we call it, uh, ranging anywhere from uh, 16 caliper all the way up to about a 30 caliper. So we produce packaging for uh, beer cartons, cereal boxes, any any kind of product that's packaged uh, in in uh, that kind of paper. And this uh, this location, this mill is right south of Fort Benning, um, a little bit east of the, or a little bit west of the Columbus area, Columbus, Georgia. Is that right? That's correct. So we, the, uh, the labor force there consists of some people from, like you said, all from Phoenix city, Columbus, uh, uh, Eufaula area, uh, Fort Mitchell, Fort Benning area, some as far out as even Opelika. So hmm. it's, a uh, uh, big big swath of the the population there in this area, and Major I saw from a local, yeah, I saw from a local newscast that this is that that the Mart Mill owned by West Rock is the largest employer in Russell County. So this yes. this really affects a lot of people, and so you know, working in this mill, what what are the kind of dangers that y'all encounter? When you're working, when you're working uh, in, in this mill. So, uh, for someone that has never worked in the paper industry or paper mill, uh, I can remember when I first walked into that mill uh, back when I was 26 years old, uh, and was kind of taken back at the massive size of the equipment and uh, all that that entailed. So. There's lots of uh, there's lots of ropes that carry that carry the paper through the machinery. Uh, lots of big giant rolls with uh, lots of nip and crush points, uh, calendar stacks, and uh, lots of high pressure steam for the drying. Uh, lots of chemicals. Uh, it's a dangerous place to work, uh, but uh, it's it's becoming a safer place to work through all the. Uh, innovation and, and applications uh, toward keeping people safe at uh, used to you could recognize a paper maker in one of these mills because they were usually missing a limb or something but uh, mm. i seen a few uh, people on the picket very, line this uh, i seen a few people on the picket line this week that was missing some fingers at least <laughs> yeah so it's uh 
it's not it's a it's a dangerous place to work and that's one of the reasons that uh, the salaries in these meals are like they are uh mm -hmm. because of that uh, the it's uh such a dangerous place to work and then you 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 work these uh these shift schedules that are very demanding on people so uh Right, and let's uh, let's get into that a little bit, you know, because I one of the things that frustrated me about, uh, and and I think a lot of your members about some of the local news coverage is they would uh, state your salaries, which are you know they're they're fine, they're you know they're they're put put y'all solidly kind of in the middle class, a, a you know good blue collar manufacturing type job, that kind of salary, but it's you know y'all aren't making. 200 quarter million half a million dollars a year right y'all are still still definitely you know, just working people and they were quoting this like oh these are such good paying jobs whatever without giving people an understanding of the danger that you put yourselves in and without giving people an understanding of the hours that you work so y'all work what you call a quote reverse southern swing tell the audience what that shift schedule looks like so at mark we do we, we we work the reverse southern swing and so typically what that is or what that actually looks like is your shift rotation starts on a wednesday night at midnight uh so you'll go to work and you'll you'll start that wednesday night at midnight and you'll work seven days in a row <coughs> excuse me you work seven days in a row so you get off work that Wednesday morning, right? And then uh, you'll be off that, that Wednesday and then you'll be off that Thursday. And then your second rotation, which is your evening shift, starts on that Friday at 4 p.m. So you'll work seven days in a row uh, on that evening shift, 4 to 12 p.m. So you'll get off work that following Thursday at midnight. And then you'll get the next day, Friday. That's your one off day in between your evening and your your day shift so you'll come in saturday morning at 8 a.m and you'll start your day shift and that runs all the way through friday seven more days uh and that's uh when you get off at uh 4 p.m on friday that's what they call your long weekend so that's your one weekend off a month uh so you'll get off that that friday afternoon and then you won't report back to wednesday at midnight and you'll start the rotation all over again but but if <laughs> you never ever work that schedule, by the way, so these uh, the staffing levels and everything in these meals are such that most of the time you're working 12 hour shifts. So these uh, these seven days in a row uh, that you find yourself working are mostly 12 hour shifts. Uh, so by the time your long weekend rolls around, uh, you're pretty wore out and uh, and it's just a cycle, you know, over and over and over again. So uh you just miss a lot right you miss a lot of living you miss a lot of life because you're pouring yourself into these meals and and kind of what you alluded to yeah the salaries are a little above average compared to the some of the other uh, wages you see in the industries around us but uh that's the kind of the trade-off right that's the mm -hmm. sacrifice for for doing these kinds of jobs so you make that little extra, you know, to, to be able to send your, your kid to college or, you know, take that nice uh, vacation with the family. Uh, and then, you know, maybe put back a little uh, more for, toward retirement than the average person may, 
may could do. Right. But, uh, you know, like you said, that's the trade-off is that, you know, there were, right. th- there were some folks, uh, when I was down there that was, that told me, you know, that you're able to, the, the trade-off is that basically you provide financially for your family, but you're not, you know, in, in a lot of cases it becomes much more difficult or you are not as able to provide, you know, emotional and, and, and physical and, and, you know, being present type support. You know, you, you're able to give them a good living, your family, uh, maybe your your wife is able to stay home, which is not a luxury that, that a lot of people have anymore. And, and so, you know, they're very thankful for that. But then the wife is able to stay home, but the husband is, is almost never there. Or is, is, it's a lot more difficult for them to be there than other people. And, 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 this, and this trade-off over the last four or five contracts has become less uh, less appealing to people because over the last four or five contracts, they have been continuing to take and take and not keep raises up with inflation, uh, take a little bit there, take a little bit here. And that is what has led to your short staffing problem. Folks told me that y'all are about 100 people short. And so, and that's why you're ha- the people that are still there having to work these 12 hour, these 16 hour, sometimes more, more hour shifts. And that, and, and, and so, and then on top of this, they're trying to take even more from you. And so finally, you know, y'all, y'all just said enough is enough, but it seems almost from a business standpoint, they're having such a hard time getting people in the door now as it is. How is it not anything but good for their business model to keep what y'all have in this contract, at least, if not make it better? Because obviously they're having trouble recruiting people. Yeah, I uh, I scratched my head at this company's decision to, to bring this fight to our meal at this time, right? Doesn't make absolutely any sense. So uh, you're absolutely correct. The, 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 the shortage that we see... Uh, in our staffing are, are unheard of. We haven't seen it this bad. I mean, they've always understaffed the way the, the way the corporation looks at this, Jacob, is that, uh, 19, you know, 18 to 20% of overtime for, for employees is acceptable to them because that's, they, they, they limit the roll up, what they call roll up cost to, to adding, uh, more employees. So we all understand how that works. You know, you add employees, so then you got the benefits, you got all the uh, the wages, everything that goes along with adding that other employee. So they kind of try to find a balance towards staff to their staffing levels to where they don't have those additional roll up costs and they're still able to get things done. So typically, the, that balance is somewhere between eighteen and twenty percent. So, but what we've been seeing at our mill is those overtime levels have been exceeding forty percent. Um, twice, you know, what the normal, so the, they've clearly, clearly understaffed, uh, and they haven't been addressing it. Uh, and we've been after them for quite some time and, and folks have just been so out of balance that they've had enough of it, especially with this latest contract offer that's clearly having us take concessions. Right. And so let's, you know, you know, let's talk about the concessions that they're trying to get y'all to accept. Uh, of course, 
in this contract, they have maintained the concessionary raises. Uh, the they're just two percent annual raises, which is really, really not common. Uh, in, in today's inflationary environment. But in addition to that, they're trying to take away the what y'all call in the industry hog law and your Sunday penalty pay. Uh, explain to us what those two provisions are. Okay, so uh, the contract language that they're, they're, they're trying to actually buy from, from our union members here that run this mill are actually protections are supposed to be deterrents from a corporation, you know, overworking an employee. And so those uh, language protections are centered around the over 16, the over 24, the holiday and working on Sunday language. Um, and what that states is that uh, if you work an individual seven days a week, right. And you, you, you work him, uh, on Sunday, then Sunday uh, is paid at time and a half. So the over 16 language says that if you work an employee over 16 hours, then you're going to back up and you're going to pay that employee overtime rate from the very first hour he came into work until he's had an eight hour period of, of rest. And the same thing with the 24 hour language, it operates the same way, right? So if you something comes up in the mill and you say, Hey, you know, I need you to stay. Uh, then he's paid at overtime rate time and a half for every hour he's been at work during that 24 hour period until he's had an eight hour rest period off, off from work. Uh, those penalties exist because they shouldn't. And even both sides agree, right. That they shouldn't be working individuals, these kinds of hours. Uh, and those penalties are there, so when those things happen, they everybody recognizes that that should be done. Um, there is language in our contract that says that you you can't be forced to work over sixteen hours, right? Uh, so when the company comes to an employee and says, you know, whatever's going on, that they need their expertise uh, to stay to keep the mill running then that's the penalty that they pay, right? So that person makes that extra money and rightfully so. So now the corporation Westrock comes in and says, well, we just want to eliminate that language. We don't, we no longer want to abide by these penalties if these situations arise and we have to work these employees these excessive hours, which our labor union thinks is absolutely ludicrous, right? Um, because it's completely under their control. You're the one that mm -hmm. controls the staffing of the meal. So look, staff the meal in this language isn't a problem. And if it does come up that you need some certain employee's expertise um, to get us out of a jam or to keep production rolling, then that person's entitled to that money, right? Right. You've kept them there all them hours. Uh, we really don't understand why we're, why they're we're even fighting over this stuff, to be honest with you. Where it gets tricky is the Sunday language. So most paper mills years past, they all had this language, right? That says Sunday, uh, you're going to get paid at rate plus one half just because it's Sunday. Mm -hmm. So uh, all they've systematically started eliminating this, this type of language out of labor agreements with these other paper industries for years. I think they said since the 1990s, I think. So what we've been telling the corporation is that Mart 
and March families and March communities in the surrounding area still hold Sunday as a special day, right? We, we don't think that we should be working. We should be spending that time with our families. Um, so if you require us to work that day, then that's going to be paid at that rate plus one half. Um, they're wanting to eliminate that language. They, they tell us that Sunday is just another day. Um, so they don't, they don't think they should pay that penalty anymore for you working mm -hmm. on Sundays. Uh, right. So somehow, somehow over the years, you know, their, their view has changed. So, uh, this language has been in our contract for a long time. And like we just stated, it's been in other contracts in the industry as well. Um, and it's being bought off. So March simply standing up and saying, look, this language isn't for sale. Mm -hmm. We still hold these things to be dear. Um, we still think that's the way it should be in America. Right. I mean, uh, well, yeah. And, and something, right. And something that you, you've told me is that, you know, when you work somebody seven days a week without any rest in a seven day period, you know, there, there should be a penalty that to be paid for that. And, and I think that that's very reasonable. And this hog law stuff is to, you know, you said that both sides agree, you know, you don't want people working over 16 hours and, and they're already working people over 16 hours, asking people to work 16 hours and, and, and more sometimes. And you've said that over 40%, so we're getting close to half of the hours in this mill are overtime hours, which is just not acceptable. And management and, and the executives are clearly not doing their part, right? You know, presumably, presumably management is supposed to be doing something. They're supposed to be working somehow. And, and it seems like part of that job would be you keep the thing staffed and they're not able to do that right now. And, and, and so the worry is that at, if, if y'all remove these penalties for working people seven days seven days in a row, if you remove these penalties for working people over sixteen hours, that they're just going to do it even more, and and that seems like a reasonable worry, and you know that it shows that this is clearly not about just the money because they offered y'all a twenty eight thousand dollar ratification bonus in this, uh, you know, total there, there's stuff here, some buyouts here and, and some signing bonuses. And, and you, you know, you add all that up and it was $28,000. If you accepted these concessions, lump sum, one check, and y'all turned that down because you said no, you know, and, and you turned it down resoundingly, like 90 something percent of the people voted it down because you're like, no, you know, our time away from work is important. And we're worried that you're going to take more of it. If we give you this language, and so you turned it down and the company locked y'all out on Thursday. How have in, in the, uh, you know, we're about, I guess, 48 hours out from the lockout. What's the fallout been from that? How have your members been responding? Um, and, and I don't know how many stories y'all are getting, you know, kind of from the inside of the mill, the salary people or how much y'all would want to tell us. But what's the fallout been like for your members and, and the running of the mill? So let me say, I, first of all, I was just humbled at the response from our from our membership, right? Um, to just overwhelmingly say no thank you to the money that the corporation was throwing at them to to buy our contract language, right? So that that screams that 
all of us are being overworked and we're tired of it. And it's not about the money. It's about these language protections and our values and, and what we stand for. And they need to stay in that contract because we look to this labor agreement as both a social and an economic agreement between right the people and the employer. And so it, it's a two-way street. And so there should be balance there. Um, the Once the company decided to lock us out Thursday morning, uh, of course, it was a somber kind of people were just, you know, man, I've been working this meal for 30 years plus, right? And, and uh, uh, they just couldn't believe it, right? That an employer would uh, take that kind of position over them with with what was on the table, right? The issues that were on the table, um, just refusing to talk about it. Um, so, so once the shock got over and everybody rallied on the streets and, uh, uh, and then now continue, we, we got our picket schedule up and running. And, and so they're, they're, uh, making the most out of that. I mean, you're seeing families and kids and children. And so they're, they're, they're having, they're starting to have fun with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's growing into to, uh, a realization that, you know, we're, we're locked out of our, our meal. We don't have a paycheck coming in, but wow, you know, we're connecting with people <laughs> throughout our meal. I mean, we're, there's, there's 467 of us. We don't, we all, all work in the same area. So now we've got a chance to, you know, mingle with one another, people we don't have normal day-to-day contact, meet their families, um, and have a good time, you know, eat meals together. We're grilling, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers, and and uh, we're just making the most of it, and we're hoping at some point that the company will, will come around to their senses, right? Uh, one thing interesting, in our last 15 hours before this um, corporation decided to lock our employees out. We they called for an important meeting, uh, so we all showed up. Uh, and they just was the only thing they were really interested in was was the union ready to just uh, give in, right, mm. and give up. Um, so I looked to our plant manager and I told him, I said, listen. You have got a golden opportunity right here. I have never, ever seen this meal disunited. There's, you have a golden opportunity to turn this into something very positive, with depending on what direction that you decide to take. I mean, we could literally be breaking production records right now, as unified as this meal is. And, and, and if they were just to take, you know, one step in the in the right direction here on these issues uh but instead they're just obviously not going to do that and he's going to go down a different road and my fear is just cause irreparable damage to the relationship between the corporation and and the employees in this community right and these families uh it's a sad thing and, and i just don't understand how why they look at it this way um they get upset, you know, in, in, in con- when we're talking to them in negotiations and refer to this meal as our meal, right? Mm. They remind me, no, this is our meal, right? So we get that this, they, it's their assets, right? 
but we're the ones, we're the group of people in there um, making this thing go, right? Making these mm. people millions of dollars of profit. And we're a very good team together. We're very efficient. That meal runs like a sewing machine, right? Mm. 97% efficiencies. This meal is a moneymaker for these people. And it's because that the all of us take ownership in it, right? We're good right. at what we do. And uh, we make the sacrifices with our with our homes and stay out there and keep this place going and it's and it's worked. Um, and now they're just uh, they want to tear all that down just to squeeze and, the margins mm-hmm. a little bit more so they can dump right. more money in the pockets. <laughs> right, and that's the thing is it's that there's hard. not they don't even have any you know any sort of economic justification for this. You know, maybe back in the Back in the '70s and the '80s, you know, we could the some of the things that the manufacturing folks were and and the you know the industries and the unions were butting heads about was that there was legitimate compression in the industry, right? And that's just not the case. That is not the case at all with Westrock. They made three point four billion dollars last year. Their CEO last year got a three hundred percent raise. And a $1.5 million bonus. You know, this is just not a company that needs to ask its workers. There is there is no need at this company for the workers to sacrifice. There's none at all because it's doing so well. And you talked about the unity that y'all are having in this in your shop in at Mart Mill. And you've also seen seen a lot of support from other West Rock Union members across the country. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so we've been contacted by just about every meal in the West Rock organization <laughs> offering their support. Uh, many of them have wrote uh, scathing letters to our CEO, right, in support of the Mart location. And so... Uh, yeah, you're seeing this ripple effect uh, all over the entire organization, where people are 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 standing up uh, for this fight. Uh, a lot of these locations were in this fight before us, and they agreed to deals of uh, where they sold this same type of language that we're fighting to keep in our contract now. And every time I talk to one of these presidents in one of these other locations. The message is the same, Bobby. That was a terrible mistake, right? Mm. We never should have done it. Um, and so this thing has just come full circle, and and now, like I said, the West Rock Corporation has brought this fight to Mark, and Mark's simply standing up and saying, "No, thank you." Right? It's not about the money. It's about the protections that we offer. We have in our contract agreement, right? Uh, Sunday's not just another day here in this area, in this community, in the lives of our families. Um, it just puzzles me that, that that corporate America has adopted the position that, you know, Sunday's just another work day for their workforce, right? Hmm. Hey, you look back in these old contract agreements and that th- those ideals used to be important, hmm. not only to us as families and neighbors and friends, but it also used to be important to business leaders, right? Um, and they took care of their employees. They understood that. Um, 
And that was just a trade-off. And, and as long as everybody's profitable and everybody's good, that's 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 exactly right. I'm gonna work this man on Sunday, then I'm gonna I'm gonna pay him a little bit extra, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where have those ideas gone with these people at the top now? Right. And I've asked them myself when I've had the opportunity to sit down and eat lunch. You know, what's changed with you guys at the top? I mean, you'd like to think, Jacob, that these people that run these corporations, these uh distinguished individuals if you if you want to refer to them as that that they should i mean they they're supposed to be the ones that have arrived right mm. so they're they're supposed to have, hold dear those uh important ideals and integrity and character that that that, in, that leaders should exhibit right and so they're the ones that should understand the most how important these things are to families and, and the american fabric right of society um like me and you spoke earlier and I alluded to this, right? You hear all this chatter way up top in these boardrooms and these people that making millions of dollars and they want to talk about the moral decay of America and (laughs) all the ills that you see here. Right. Mm. And at the same time, they pass this garbage back down to the working man. Right. And just Sunday's just another day, folks. Right. So they don't, they say one thing and then you see them doing another. Right. Right. Well, Bobby, I know that we're rooting for you up here in Huntsville. Is there anything that our listeners can do to support y'all right now? So, yeah, just um, uh, get out there on the social media any way you can, right? And and send the message to corporate America that, you know, we're, this is, this is, this is about more and this is about our families. This is about what's important and, and about life, right? In general. And uh, it's wrong for these corporations to be sucking all these millions of dollars up at the top and keeping it up there. Everybody has heard on the news and everywhere else. They always talk. You, you see this big disparity, right, of between the corporate elites and the working guy, how it's been growing, growing, growing over the years. So this fight right here is just another example of that, right? They just want to reach in the pockets of the working man, take from him and pass it back up to the big bankers and the shareholders and put it in their pockets. Uh, this Westbrook corporation, by the way, has already got a ROE as a return on investment. So that it's already between seven and 10% now mm. with, mm-hmm. with things just like they are. So this attack right. on our meal, isn't hurting their bottom line, not one penny. So I would just ask that everybody joining this fight, Blast them out. I'm gonna send a a clear message that what they're doing is wrong and uh, support us. Bobby Watson, president of USW Local 971, representing production workers at the Mart Mill Paper Mill in Cottonton, Alabama. Thank you for taking the time today. Oh, oh, really quick. I'm sorry. Mel asked if y'all do y'all have a two tier wage structure over there? No, we don't. Okay. Well, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Bobby, thanks for taking the time today. Thank Appreciate you for it. your struggle as well. Thank, We're going to be you. cheering you on from North Alabama. Yeah. Thank you much. I'll keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. We're going to go to a break really quick, and we're going to be right back talking about Amazon locations catching fire in Huntsville, Alabama. Stay tuned. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, 
reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. .org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. 
Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And this is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We just wrapped up a conversation with Bobby Watson, president of the Steelworkers Local 971, representing production workers at the Mart Mill Paper Mill in Cottonton, Alabama. You know, sometimes we get there's some weird there's some weird people on the internet. If you have a title next to your name in a union, they're like, "Oh, these are union bureaucrats. These these are people that you know, just suck money from from member dues or whatever. Bobby is a worker, uh, and in very many, in many, 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 many unions across the country, the local officers are all shop floor workers, and they take their they take some time from their job to do their union duties. And they take some time, they volunteer after hours, a lot of time, especially in times like this. Bobby and some of the other leadership of those three unions down there, they've been sleeping at the union hall. And they don't have a fancy bed. Their union hall is just a double-wide trailer down there. So it's not, you know, they ain't gotten this big fancy thing. Union officers spend a lot of time, a lot of time for their members. The good ones do. And it's not and it's not like it's a bad thing if you're staff on a union either at all. But you know there is there is, there is a, a misconception. Yeah, yeah there's there, a misconception sure. there for sure that all, all officers are paid staff and and that's just that's just not the case. That's not the case at all. Yeah, I believe there were folks on the internet who believed that you were like an AFL-CIO employee <laughs> yep. because you had been elected secretary-treasurer of the local labor council. Um, yep. Not the way it works, folks. Not the way it works. Amazon warehouses have been catching fire across the country, including right here in Huntsville. In fact, the Amazon facility in Madison... Happened twice. Which is called HSV-1. Caught fire twice. That's wild. In as many weeks. It was literally the first shift that they opened that section of the facility back up. It caught fire again. WAFF was on the scene talking to workers last week as the building was burning by the way, credit to WAFF for their WAFF. coverage on this article. Yeah, yeah, um, it's I really, really good stuff. Yeah, they, they, they do some, they do some good stuff. So this is from the article from WAFF. Quote: The employees, amongst others, are starting to feel a sense of fear and distrust as they waited outside for answers and updates. It even gave the employees time to draft a theory as to what caused the fire. Quoting from one of the workers, it's just funny that last Monday our warehouse caught on fire in the same area, the employee said. I was told from other employees as we were sitting out there wondering what in the heck was going on, they said boxes caught on fire. So they're thinking maybe lithium batteries. And then a majority of us, we don't feel safe. I mean, we think they sent us back to work too soon. And I think they're certainly right to be feeling distrustful. 
Friend of the show, Isaiah Thomas, is a lead organizer with the Amazon Union in Bessemer, Alabama. And folks, if there's, and he said, he tweeted this out on Twitter. If there's anybody that saw his tweet or that's listening to the show that works at a Huntsville Amazon facility or in any Amazon facility, but particularly with, you know, what's been going on in Huntsville in the past couple of weeks, particularly if you work at a Huntsville facility, reach out to him. And if you don't know him, you probably don't. You can reach out to us, and we will get you in touch with him. Um, but if, if you're interested in doing something about the way that, you, that you're being treated, you should right. reach out. I can get you in touch with them, and y'all can start getting to work forming a union in Huntsville and start protecting yourself because clearly this company isn't going to do it. And and I'll just I'll give you my phone number. My phone number is 256 426 3358. That's my personal cell phone number. If you're a Huntsville Amazon worker or you know somebody that works there, feel free to get in touch with me at my personal cell phone number, 256-426-3358. You can also reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. You can direct message our show and we'll help you get in touch. Um, Because this is important. You know, this is like literally life and death type stuff that we're talking about, not just from, you know, the it, it's less likely that you're going to burn alive but i mean that could happen you know no but the smoke inhalation is extremely extremely dangerous uh chemical inhalation you know you start burning crazy stuff over there that can really be detrimental to your health and look folks it's not just you it's not just you in Huntsville amazon warehouses have much higher uh injury rates than industry standard right. Right. You know, across the board. And then the same day that a Huntsville warehouse caught fire, a Staten Island warehouse caught fire. The folks up there are unionized. They won their union election and they exercised their right that they have in this country to refuse unsafe work. And they walked off the job over a hundred of them. Then the night shift came in because they were told that they still had to report to work. And instead of reporting to work, they stayed just sit in at a safe location. 650 of them. Subsequently, at least 50 of them were suspended. And then the next day, a fire broke out at an Albany Amazon location. And, you know, you may think, oh, these people were suspended. This means that we shouldn't organize. And that is not right. That's not right. The only way to protect yourself from unjust suspensions and from unsafe working conditions is to organize. Is to organize. To get so many Amazon facilities in Huntsville, in New York, and across the country organized that Amazon doesn't have that power anymore, that they can't willy-nilly fire people for refusing unsafe working conditions. So it's an imperative that you organize in Huntsville and across the country. So we're going to leave you with that. We're going into overtime, and we're going to be playing an interview that Adam did with Zach Hyden about some of the stuff that he's doing down there. Going to be talking about some other stories. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.